Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The making of a detective contains descriptions of violence and graphic content and is not suitable for everyone. At 1.30pm on the 5th of October, the day after her murder, Rachel Callaly's body was removed from her house and was brought to the Dublin City Mortuary for a post-mortem examination. A set of car keys were found lying directly underneath Rachel's body, belonging to her car parked outside in the driveway. For Pat, it suggested she'd only arrived into her house when the attack first took place and that her keys would have still been in her hand when the first blow to the head was delivered. In the days that followed, the Guardi continued to carry a thorough search of the crime scene and surrounding areas. Less than 500 metres away from the house, an officer spotted two bags lying in a stream, one containing a video camera and the other containing some jewellery missing from the house. If you were to believe this was a burglary gone wrong, the discovery could help make sense of what happened that morning in the Knoll. But there was cash still in the house, left completely untouched. It just didn't add up. Truth be told, not much of that crime scene did. Whoever was trying to pull a fast one with Detective Pat Murray would have to try a lot harder than that. Previously, on the making of a detective. Whoever killed this woman hated her. There was a viciousness about the assault. He said very little, but he listened intently. He wanted to know everybody's views and everybody's thoughts. And he looked at me and he stared at me like, you know, and he said, I did have an affair, but it's over now. The making of a detective is brought to you by the Irish Sun. I'm Ian Doyle. In episode two, Pat Murray and his team begin the bones of their investigation into the death of Rachel Callaly. There is a chance you might be familiar with some of the twists and turns to come, as much of it was documented on the most public stage possible in Ireland. But that's something you'll hear more about later on. For now though, prepare to get a real insight into the behind the scenes detective work that went into solving one of Ireland's most notorious murder cases. we were progressing the investigation and like I always have a formula and you have to have a formula you have to have a plan you have to have a strategy 
And there are certain aspects of an investigation that you cannot afford to ignore. A criminal investigation is systematic approach to identifying, preserving, collecting and analysing information. And that information can come in the form of a witness statement, uh, evidence at the scene, telephone records, CCTV, forensic testing, whatever. A huge number of interviews were conducted by Pat and his team with anyone who was close to Rachel and her family. Pat came in, Peter McCoy became the liaison officer, um, another guard from Belbringen, and they were up in my house one o'clock the next day doing interviews and they had arranged with all the family to get the interviews done as fast as, and we understood that like much as obviously it wasn't ideal time and wise and stuff, but they had to move fast and that was the arrangement and that's the way it worked. Once the house was technically examined and the searches were done, the guardie had to give the house back to the next of kin. Which was Joe. And we gave him the keys back. Then I know the two guards involved or with him said um, there was a lot of blood at the scene and that, that they would get in a professional cleaners to clean the house for him as a courtesy and that we, we, we would do that. Like, And he says, oh, no, no, leave the blood there, leave it there, leave it all there. He says, Grand, I'll get some of the lads over and we'll clean it up at some stage. I would have thought he would have jumped at the opportunity to have a professional team in to clean up your house on the expense of the guardie, but no, he wanted to leave it there. I just felt that strange as wife's blood like, you know. O'Reilly's call history on that day of the murder was something that intrigued Pat deeply. Joe had stated that his affair with Nikki Pelly was over, but his phone records suggested they were still in deep contact. What else could it tell us? Pat had a feeling there was much more info that could be derived from the phone, even if 2004's technology wasn't quite as invasive as today's. And it was rumoured at the time or talked about that there was this thing called cell site analysis. And we got in contact with O2. Now, we knew very little and I knew nothing about uh, cell site analysis opinion, but the engineer explained it to us in layman's terms and it made perfect sense. He was able to tell us that if Joe had his phone and he made a call or received a call, the nearest mast to where he was will go through. It'll pick it up. And we were able to say, well, that's fantastic. Can you do that from five o'clock that morning? right on up until two o'clock that day. They said they could. So we gave them all the details of his phone calls and this, that and the other, and they came back with a chart. But it was a long process. It wasn't like, will you do this for us and we're back two or three days later. It was a long process because they had a lot of technical stuff to do. Joe was firmly Pat's main suspect, but he's been wrong in investigations before. Initial hunches and gut feelings don't always lead you in the direction you think they might. As a detective working on a case, Pat needs to be able to transport himself into the life of the victim, get to know their worries, their stresses and their ups and downs, try to get perspective on why their life may have been cut short. Jackie Connor, Rachel's bridesmaid at her and Joe's wedding, was someone that knew her inside out. She was also a friend that Rachel and Joe shared mutually, and with that, knew more about their marriage than anyone else. I have to say, if you ever wanted a good friend, she would be the person. She was very loyal to Rachel. And when I started talking to Jackie to find out about Rachel's marriage, and she was very reluctant to tell me because 
she, she's the type of girl she would f- feel that she was letting down Rachel by telling me things about her. But I had to explain where I was coming from and where the investigation was and what our job was. And I had to explain to her, like, you know, those huge question marks over Joe. Jackie told Pat she was weirded out by his actions and mood in the days after Rachel's death. He asked her out to go to the cinema, granted as friends, but odd behaviour in the midst of a murder investigation. What Jackie said next would become more important in Pat's understanding of the ups and downs of the O'Reilly-Cowley marriage. You see, it was Jackie Connor's birthday the day Rachel was murdered and Rachel had told Jackie that uh, herself and Joe had a ferocious row the night before and that she had told Joe uh, if you don't clean up your act things will change and I think Joe knew that obviously things are going to change like you know Rachel is going to pick up and go and uh, she gave, she said, they use the word uh, ultimatum. Rachel gave Joe an ultimatum, and that was it. Joe didn't stop there. He told Jackie of a dream he had had in the days after the murder. She said, Look, Joe told me that he did it. And I sat up and I said, All right. She said, Yeah, he said he, he did it, but he was in a dream when he was doing it. And uh, I said, Okay. And she she was you know, little uncomfortable telling me, like, you know, because she was very, she's a very loyal person, like, you know, and even to Joe, like, Joe was her best friend with Rachel, they were a couple that she was friends with, like, you know. She said, yeah, Joe's told me he did it, uh, but he was in a dream when he was doing it. So that was of no benefit to us because anything that was said that happened in a dream is of no evidential value. I certainly never really got into his head like a brother-in-law should, sort of, you know. And now, he did play football with me for a year, and even with that, and, like, we'd go back to the pub for a few pints or whatever afterwards, like, he always had a distance. He wasn't great at looking you in the eye or anything. He just, I just thought it was part of his makeup. She seemed happy, and that's all that really mattered. You know, we're all odd, I suppose, in our own way, but... Um, I definitely wouldn't have had any worries, let's be honest. Once a serious crime takes place, an incident room is established in the governing police station and guardy of all rank are assigned various duties to keep the investigation going. For Rachel's case, this was no different. Over 700 lines of inquiry were established and multiple units were tasked with investigating certain pieces of the puzzle. At Murphy's Quarry, just down the road from Rachel and Joe's bungalow, there was a CCTV camera set up from a height that captured the road just outside of the entrance site. And we could definitively see Rachel's car going past at three minutes past nine that morning. Our routine uh, was to drop the children to school and come home. Witnesses on the day, parents and teachers who would have said hello to Rachel, were able to confirm that she was in the school between 9.15 and 9.20 that morning. And then she dropped the second child to a crash, and you could see her car arriving back at around 9.47. It was a light blue scenic, uh, you know, it was it was very distinct and uh, it went up at 9.47. Now we scrutinised that CCTV and at 10 minutes past nine we have a car passing up towards Rachel's house and Joe's house at 9.10am. 
and then we have the same car coming back down at 9.57. Now the car resembled that of a Fiat Maria estate car which Joe was driving at the time and we believe that to be Joe O'Reilly's car. We were able to determine that Rachel was killed very soon after she arrived home at 9.47. She came in the back door and straight down to her bedroom and bang, that was it. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. remember being out in the house about three weeks afterwards. Um, I would have been very pally with my youngest brother. And... Um, he invited the youngest lad out and I said I'd go out with him, you know. At that stage, you know, I, I wouldn't have left anyone in the room with Joe. Um, so when we went out, anyway, I was in the kitchen, I was looking up the quarry and I said, I had heard, I don't know whether it was true or not, but I had heard there was cameras pointing in every which direction out of the quarry. And um, Joe kind of lost ahead a bit with that. He, like he said, if I had, a, he would have sued them and la la la. And I kind of said to him, you know, my thinking was, wouldn't it be great if someone caught a picture of whoever came into the house? So I'm not so sure he even knew there was cameras because he, he reacted like a guy who was slightly worried that there might have been 
I just thought that reaction itself kind of spoke a lot at the time, you know, instead of being happy that they might have something on someone, he was going to sue them. This season on The Making of a Detective. Here he is, slating his wife, like, you know, calling her dirty names and me and Rachel in marriage equals over, like that type of, and way worse. He just made it very simple, you know, because he didn't have the world's greatest English. So everything he said was very definite, very short and very to the point. I tell you straight out now, like, you know, the Callaly family felt sorry for Joe and didn't initially believe anything that he was involved or anything of that nature. And I often spoke to Jim several times after when Joe became a suspect. Like Jim would get very upset and very annoyed. He says he was here sitting at the table and we made him sandwiches and dinners and do you know what I mean? We're feeling sorry for him and saying, God, it's a terrible thing on him. And he, the suspect all along, like, you know, he, that really got to Jim. That, you know, we opened up our house and our hearts to him and he basically spat at them. So I definitely, at the start, for the first two, three weeks, would have erred on his side just because it was... It's really what I wanted. I, I just wanted it not to be him. And they started, the kids would be sorted then. They could live with their father and stuff. But um, that soon became an impossible dream, really. I did have a fair idea after, you know, a few weeks. It just, uh, nothing stacked up, really. Nothing that Joe sort of had said stacked up. Um, so I did sort of, I would have been thinking him definitely. By this stage, there was a significant public interest in the death of Rachel. Not that many of the public would have been aware of the details behind the scene. But people felt like they knew her, or at least could relate to her. Stephen Breen is crime editor for The Irish Sun. Here you had a young mother in the prime of her life, um, at home very close-knit family, devoted to her husband, devoted to her children. And what emerged then was that you had this brutal murder of a young mother within the comfort of her own home. And I think when that happened, people wanted to know, you know why this had happened to a normal family, why this young mother who had her whole life in front of her was targeted in such a brutal and barbaric way. Not much of Joe's behaviour made sense in those weeks after Rachel's death. His demeanour, his interactions with the Callies, Jackie Connor, and the guards. More than anything else, though, it was his interactions with journalists and people in the media that stuck out like a sore thumb. My own view is he wanted everybody in the world to know he did it and he was going to get away with it. Let's be clear about this. I distinctly told Joe O'Reilly not to talk to the media, to leave that to us that there will be an interest. And he was quite happy, yeah, no problem, he said to me. As the investigation progressed, it was quite apparent that Joe was, I suppose, with this, the word he was courting the media. Like the media and all, it didn't sort of, I, I, I always felt, felt it, it has to be a bit of a positive because um, <clears throat> the more spotlight is put on whoever did it, um, the better chance someone might crack or someone might say something or something might come out um, that would lead us to the killer. So I, I always felt the media was, and I always felt they were very fair with us. 
um, you know, they, they, they'd write stuff and that, but they might ch- talk to us first and stuff. Like, they were never negative against our family. Like, they, they were always very really positive. I do believe there was a lot of journalists wanted to not necessarily catch Joe O'Reilly, but they wanted to catch who killed Rachel. And I think like we did become a little bit personal for a few of them, which I think benefited us. It kept the pressure on on whoever did it. The Irish media were keen to find out as much as they could about Rachel and Joe's family life, as well as their personal lives too. About two or three weeks after her funeral, Joe got in touch with Paul and other members of the Callaghy family. Joe started texting and stuff, like, you might hear rumours about this and that and stuff, which I thought was very odd, like, I was never in this situation before, but I just thought it was very odd um, that he he might have had affairs and stuff like this. And I, I actually remember advising him to talk to a solicitor about it because like he, he's a he's a grieving husband and the last thing he needs is is, is newspapers writing stuff that didn't actually happen but um he never came back to me and any of the times i offered the legal side of it um for obviously good reason now so it was fairly shortly after rachel was buried um he started flying that kite a bit um, and then obviously the newspapers were flying them a little bit as well. Many of Joe's actions in those weeks painted him out to be a cold calculated killer who was blasé about the fact that he had murdered his wife. And to be quite frank, much of that was true. But Joe also did his best to try and cover up his own tracks. One of the methods he used, or the tour as it would come to be known, is still synonymous in the 17-year history of this murder investigation. Joe was cute all the same. He was like, um, he was distancing himself from the crime. And when the house was handed back to him, he rang the Callalees and he said, I'm after getting a, a sense of peace being here in the house. I'd like you to come over and experience it. And would you come over to the house and... They didn't want to let him down. They said, yes, we'll call over. So Rose and Jim and Paul Callany and his wife Denise called over. It took me that a long time to sort of come to the realisation it was Joe. But I think myself and my mother were, were, were on it earlier. And so we, I decided to go up with them, with Denise, my wife, um, just as support, really. Um, so we went up and, like... Joe was there and like we myself and Denise got stuck into like the house was the bedroom and all I mean the guards have to do what they have to do and like there was stuff here there and everywhere so we started cleaning up the place a bit Um, and then he started Joe kept on pleading with the family over and over again to listen to the voicemails on the answering machine and he just kept at us and so we all went in and I remember we were were like in a semi-circle around the phone I was just going, this is bizarre, like, you know, his wife is dead, like, there's no tear, there was nothing. It was all about this answering machine. And then he played seven or eight messages and maybe four or five of them were from him. Joe said, oh, Rachel, I'm on the way out here and I'm, I'm very worried about you and all this type of stuff. And he played that over. And Rose tells me, she said, I got an awful bad feeling about Joe at that stage. Thinking back on it, they were all just 
you know, they were all just trying to give him some sort of alibi and the, the grieving husband or, or the concerned husband. After playing the voice messages that he left Rachel, Joe escorted the family down to the bedroom she was murdered in. What happened next is still something that stays with the Callies to this day. Joe began to act out what he felt would have happened during Rachel's attack. Each blow from the murderer's perspective. One by one, until she was dead. And I do believe this is another thing that he did purposely. He wanted us because when he was reenacting the murder, he what his eyes were dancing now, and he was watching us all. And I think, in my own head, he, he he's he's that sick that he got great enjoyment out of watching us all wince as he went down on the knee, and he's she was still groaning, and I hit her again, and that's why there's blood here. And, and he was standing over the body like as if she was there, like you know, and they were very upset. Here is Rose Callaly speaking to Claire Byrne on RT in 2019. I said to Jim, it's the last place I'll ever go to again. Cutting a long story short, Jim said to me, just try it, he said, it might work. But I walked out of the house knowing without a shadow of a doubt in my mind that he had murdered Mm. Rachel. And this was as close to an admission as you'll ever get from Joe O'Reilly because what he enacted was what exactly the state pathologist believed she would have died, how she would have died. She would have inhaled a lot of blood into her lungs in her breathing. So that's the noise that Joe heard, you know, and then finished her off. And uh, like savage, like savage. And he reenacted that for the Callaly family. Not only did Joe give the tour to Paul, Denise, Rose and Jim, he also gave it to Jackie Connor, and even more bizarrely, some members of the Irish media who were covering the case at the time. And I mean, I've talked to a lot of journalists now since, and like, some of them walked out of that house after the tour, which it became known as, and they were like a mother of God. Like. So I think there was an example of his arrogance. There's a massive ego there in terms of his personality because he knew what, what he, had, he had just done, even though he's never admitted it. He took the family to the house and the killer must have behaved in this manner. You know, she was lying here, blood all over the walls. So that was him saying that he found comfort by talking about the murder. But when they left the house that night, they were of no doubt that he was behind the, this incident. He'd got me mother already on the, the day he murdered her. And now it was all our turn, you know. He, he wanted us all to suffer. and But he, he wanted us all to know. But he didn't want to get caught. Whatever it is in him, whatever is missing in his makeup, his psyche, he he got a thrill out of people. I don't, maybe the notoriety, I don't know, but he he got it, it. It gave him a buzz that people thought he did it. It's unknown whether Joe had any inkling that those initially fighting his corner were beginning to turn. Pat's relationship with the family was growing stronger as the weeks went on. They respected his professionalism and he put his heart and soul into every minute he spent on Rachel's case. When you're involved in crimes and dealing with families, I've always said it, and it was part of my ethos in investigations, that 
you bring the family in, they're an integral part of the investigation and that they're the people who are suffering and continue to suffer and they shouldn't be left out. So it was, it was a process with Pat. It wasn't, you know, they didn't just come in one day and say, look, this is the crack. It was a process with them where they slowly just kept talking through stuff and as you talk through it, you'd revert back to, well, it can only be. It always just came back to, it can only be, you know. I think they arrested every crook in Dublin, you know, to see where they were that day. They arrested, like, they did everything by the book. They they followed every lead, as far as I'm aware, that came into the station. And nothing ever led except Joe. My dad honestly thought that we were going a bit mad. Like, he, he, he put everything down to Joe's behaviour, down to shock. And, you know, you don't know how anyone will react in these situations and all. Um, he just didn't want to, you know, a bit like I was originally at the very start. He just did not want to admit that the guy he gave his daughter to, you know, did what he did. While Pat was working hard on trying to find enough evidence to put Joe at the scene that morning, he was also busy investigating a number of high-profile cases elsewhere in his district. Myself and uh, he was Detective Inspector Dominic Hayes, we were finishing off in another murder investigation and we had to go to Spain for a week. While Pat was away, he got a phone call from Balbrig and Garda station. Joe was set to appear on The Late Late Show, Ireland's most watched TV programme, to put out an appeal for more information on Rachel's death. Pat was shocked. The arrogance of it all was hard to comprehend. What further surprised him was that he'd be appealing alongside Rose, Rachel's mother, in what would become one of the most memorable TV moments in Irish broadcasting history. Like this was news to me because I had a very good relationship with Rose Kelly at this stage and they said yeah he's going on with uh, Rose and I was sort of taken back a bit because Rose should have rang me and said look is it alright to do this or whatever I didn't get any call or there was no communication between us we couldn't find any RTE station in Spain and we had to rely on uh, what was happening on the late being relayed back to us by phone so uh, you know the guys who who were in the incident room at the time two fantastic detectives my good god the creme de la creme of incident room coordinators detective Gareth John Clancy and detective Gareth John Gerry really top class detectives and but they were relaying back that Jesus Joe's after coming across very bad and he's not given the impression he's a grieving husband and Rose looks hugely uneasy they're sitting beside him Based on the situation you found, you both found in the house, I mean, did you get the sense that she'd been taken unawares, that this was someone that perhaps she trusted and, or? Yeah, I, I think so. Where, where the murder happened was in the bedroom, which is the very last room of the house. So it's the room where you, you're least likely to bring someone you don't know because you're cornered. You can see that she's squirming to get away from him. And uh, there's no doubt by looking at Joe that night that you would think that he had something to do with it. 
my view as well would be, and again, it's just my view, it's not a police theory, it's, it's just my own personal belief, is that she knew the person because why else would you kill her? If it's a, a violent robbery, why go to the extreme of murdering the person unless they can identify you? We're all plumbers and for the next month, every house we went into where there was a woman of a certain age, they all said to us, and God love me dad, he was only coming round, they all said it, he did it, he did it, he did it. I remember at one stage he tried to pull me ma in the, you know, we think. And that's why we, we've talked about this and practically nothing else for the last three weeks. He was sort of intimating that my ma was sort of, like she didn't sort of, um, say yay or nay to him. We just feel it's someone she would have known or someone she could have identified. The Late Late Show did Joe no favours in terms of the public's perception on what had happened that morning. But that wasn't important to Pat. He was annoyed that Rose had gone on television with Joe without speaking to him first. Like many parts of the investigation, a logical explanation of what transpired would soon become apparent to Pat. Joe O'Reilly uh, got a phone call from RTE. Would he go on the Late Late Show? Now his phone number was known by some journalists because he had given that out like himself. And he said, yeah, I'll go on it, but I want to bring Rose with me if that's okay. So they sanctioned that and said, yeah, that'll be okay. So Joe went and said to Rose, the guards want us to go on the Late Late Show to make an appeal. And we're going on this Friday night. And Rose took it at face value because I asked her, like, why did you go on the Lately Show? She says, I thought that you wanted us to go. I said, if I wanted you to go on it, I'd ask you. And she said, well, look, uh, Joe told me that you wanted us to go on the Lately Show to make the appeal. I says, no, I says, Joe done this on his own bat. Nothing got to do with the guards. Oh, my God, she says, you know. I'd say the only thing that kept her, that made her do that sort of was that it wasn't 100%. Like, there was always, like, everything pointed his direction, but um, I don't know whether if, if if it was 100% the guard said he did it and that's it and he's going to be arrested tomorrow, I don't think she would have done it, you know. So I think it was still, there's always that little, there is up to the day the jury comes back in, there's always that little chance you can be wrong and everyone can be wrong. And I think it was about control in the way he controlled Rachel. He was trying to control the scenario where he had the plan of killing his wife, trying to have, have an alibi in a different area, a different location. And then the next stage of that was trying to control the media. And that's why centre stage, he had no problem going on national television and asking for people to come forward. For him, it was a performance. He, he That was... That was all just going to be part of this. Like, he didn't decide to kill Rachel a, a day before, a week before, a month before. He thought about this for a long time. And I'm sure he thought about the afterwards, and I'm sure he thought about the before and the middle. So we, in his head, this was all part of the way it should play out. Um, and I think he enjoyed it. Like, I really do think he, he enjoyed... He enjoyed shocking he liked that feeling, like, you know, he enjoyed people's reactions, you know. Um, he just, it's, it's so, in my head, it's just so not 
human or normal, but that's the way he is. I honestly believe he's a psychopath. When Pat returned from Spain, he made a visit to Montrose Studios to discuss with the Late Late staff about Joe's behaviour that night. Maybe they had some insights into how he was acting before and after the broadcast. And there was a lovely girl there, Angela was her name, she's an elderly lady, and she said, um, I was looking after them, and with all our guests, we bring them out tea and sandwiches and crisps and stuff. And she said, it was just incredible what Joe was doing. He said, we brought out the tea, and uh, the Callies were didn't want to eat anything, they were nervous and that. How she sat beside him and how she sat in the green room with him, um, like my mother's stomach, she said, was doing somersaults before the, going out, and... Joe was eating plates of sandwiches to beat the band and was totally relaxed. He was on his phone, he was pouring the tea, he drank, he said, she said he ate all the sandwiches. He ate the whole lot, sculpted the whole lot, ate the crisps the whole lot. It's just bizarre, like, for going on live TV and, and not having, like, you know, not having a nerve in your body, like. After Joe made his appearance, Orti offered to put him up in a hotel for the night as a courtesy but he was quick to decline it. He told them, no, no, I have a business meeting. Bearing in mind, the Late Late Show is titled Late for a reason. Staff on the night felt it important to relay the info to Pat. But like we checked his phone and he was talking to Nicky all the time on the phone and he went and he stayed over that night, which he confirmed for us. So where does that put you? Here's a guy is going on the Late Late Show to appeal for witnesses or anyone who might have information about the murder of his wife. Then he goes off and spends the night with his mistress. You know, tacky, tacky, tacky. So look at, uh, that was Joe. Next time on The Making of a Detective. Like there was a huge crowd gathered outside, like very anti-Joe O'Reilly crowd. And they were shouting abuse and all this, that and the other. And he was there with his brother. And before he left the station, he turned around to me put his thumb up and he said, I see a pat like, you know, as if to say, F you, you can't get me. You don't get a second shot at these things, you know, like if he gets off, he's off, you know, and that's it. The Making of a Detective, The Cases of Pat Murray was brought to you by The Irish Sun. The series is hosted and produced by me, Ian Doyle. If you've enjoyed the series so far, please consider leaving us a review in your podcast app. For more information on the life and career of Pat Murray, check out his 2019 book, The Making of a Detective, by Penguin Books. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.